Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how are you doing? Hi Nick, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I seem to be having some microphone problems, but aside from that, I think I'll live. Uh-huh. Um, so it's the exciting start of the podcast when you're like, ah, tech issues. How do we deal with this? Yes. Um, but yeah. Okay. Okay. All good. We we send people to the moon, but here we are. Uh, yeah. We've got our own mission control and the old producer, Simon. So he's currently pulling levers and uh, I don't know, the steam. There's lots of steam. I don't know why there's <laughs> steam, but uh, yeah, he's got a... Um, uh, what what what's the name of those that thing that you used to to make fires go hotter? It's a called a uh, um, bellows. That's bellows. it. Bellows. Producer Simon sneaking in with his, I guess, his blacksmithing knowledge. Um, good work, Simon. Anyway, enough of this idiocy. What's been going on with you, Dilly? It's been a beautiful start to spring. Um, so I don't know if you remember, but last year was my first spring in Sachsen-Anhalt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I dreaded it. It's got the most beautiful wild lilacs growing everywhere. So it's 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 so beautiful. The trees are very tall. They're just full of bloom. And it's been a sight to see. Yeah, I was reading somewhere someone complaining. Well, not complaining, but they said that they didn't really like the kind of spring, summer in Germany. What they really liked was the uh, the cold winters. Yeah, I do. I really like the spring. The spring's always nice. Um, yeah. Especially when it's you go through that terminal gray space between October and kind of March. This was on the I Am Germany account, I think. Yeah, that Where, was it. That, we, yeah. Yeah, we always end up bringing those those buggers <laughs> into it. But yes, um, I think that was it. It was. I think there's someone from um, East Asia, maybe, Southeast Asia, perhaps. And they were talking about the fact yeah, that their summers yeah. were kind of hot and sticky. I imagine you can sympathize, Dilly, with the uh, hot and sweaty summers versus the kind of... Yeah, summers we get here, but maybe maybe there are people who are prone to um, allergies, because mm-hmm. then you're not going to like spring and summer so much. It's been a bit of a, dis- a topic of discussion in our house because my my snoring just seems to have got worse. <gasps> um, I sound like a I sound like a kind of a truck backfiring or like a, a chainsaw. Or something. That used it's to really be me. Bad. Yes, it's really bad. Yes, can I tell you what stopped it? Tonsil surgery. What? Tonsil surgery. Oh, God, I'm trying to avoid that. It to... wasn't even for that. I just had tonsil surgery. Oh, you had your tonsillitis or like you just had your tonsils yeah. out? and they took them out. And then all of a sudden I wasn't snoring anymore. And my boyfriend used to like stare at me in the morning to make sure I was still breathing because he couldn't <laughs> hear me. <laughs> you, didn't, you don't sound like a chainsaw. What's going on? Are you okay? Yeah. Is she alive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm getting this. I think it's the pollen as well has a real impact, and it's something that yeah. I've never been really good at, which is like the fact that the the allergy season here kicks in really early. Yeah, uh, almost as soon as everything starts to bud, then it's like right, that's you. You've got like a low level cold yeah. for the next six months. Yeah, and I never used to get hay fever either. And it's kind of a bit bugging, really. Yeah. I put off tonsil surgery for a long time, but and I'm going to say it's inevitable. Hey dear, listen to us talking about our medical ailments. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure this is not what the listeners tuned in for, unless they're medical ailments dressed in lederhosen, perhaps. Uh. <laughs> Nick, so I have a very um, kind of complicated question for you. It goes like this. 
recently on Twitter, I saw a post where someone said they were, you know, they, uh, it was a parent out with their small child, a toddler maybe in a stroller, and then a neighbor, someone stops them, um, you know, oh, what a nice child, is it a boy or a girl? And uh, the parent didn't want the question. And surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, people who were replying to the parent were like, well, you know, why would you... Uh, why are you so touchy? It's a perfectly nice person trying to be friendly. What's wrong with that? The thing is, I see the parents' point of view. How how do you deal with going about with your daughter? And do you and your wife get different reactions from people? I think, yeah, we do get different reactions. I mean, I saw the tweet you were talking about. Mm. Uh, you sent it to me. And it just seemed like the responses were really snippy. And like the, I think the question was like, oh, is, it, is it a boy or a girl? And they were like, oh, we don't we don't know and she's like oh but surely you know if you're changing the nappy like obviously trying to like make a joke and try and lighten the kind of conversational gloom mm. and uh and then the, the person sort of responded oh well we close our eyes when we change the nappy because we don't want to we don't want to enforce a gender stereotype and they're just being like really choppy for no reason i didn't really get, sort of get that it felt like um the kind of reaction you get from a parent if they've had very little sleep that makes a lot of sense I don't know. I mean, we get different reactions, of course. My wife is sort of more likely to be chatty at the park, for instance, so she meets mm -hmm. other parents. I'm not particularly chatty. I'm generally, generally what happens, because I only talk English to my daughter, because, I mean, that's the point, isn't it, if she's going to learn two languages. Mm -hmm. I think as soon as I start speaking English, people get a bit weirded out by it. And um, I wish I had, like, a sign that said, like, English child in training or something. <laughs> like, hang around. <laughs> <laughs> hung around her neck you know so everyone knew what the situation was but i think that tends to kind of make people keep a distance mm -hmm. and every time i go to the park people are generally they don't they don't even say really hello to us but if i go with my wife they always say hello but if i'm there on my own they generally don't maybe i've got like bastard resting face or something or maybe they think that you speak only in english and they don't know how to i mean they, they can't accommodate the language that would be my assumption too. I think mm. I think it's it's intimidating to some extent that I'm speaking English. The busted resting face though is a good one. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a tendency of looking really serious, you know, when I'm when I'm kind of just staring off into the middle distance. I want to speak to people because I want to speak German, but at the same time, the older I get, the less interested I am in like speaking to just random people in a kind of chatty way. So I get it can be a bit wearing when you have a lot of people kind of stopping you and asking you about like your child or, or whatever because it does happen quite quite often and we live around a lot of older people so they tend to but at the same time like shit man what is it like two minutes of your life as long as they don't get all touchy and weird it's fine just you saying that you have a that you look very serious all the time you must have been a bloody sight with an x in your hand well, yeah. I mean, the wood was scared of me when I had the axe in my hand. Yeah, I was chopping wood on. I was chopping wood on Sunday. Oh God, it was so much fun. Here's the wood cast again. Is that why you're very still? I, I'm honest. I was a bit sore, you know. Mm -hmm. But like, no, it's just good mic discipline. That's what that is, Dilly. You could learn a thing or two from me. <laughs> it's like you know, in the army or something. They're seated very still. But you know what it is? I've. 
like so, and it's noticeable in that video. I, I was sort of half half a mind. I posted a video, listener. If you don't, if you're not up on the social medias, I posted a video on Saturday on Twitter about uh, that showed me. Uh, was it was on Sunday. I can't remember chopping wood, right? So, and and I and I did it because it was like kind of part of a running gag about the whole sort of wood thing, but also because uh, I think because he really wanted comments. to. Yeah, I mean it's fun, but also because Dilly, you you said stuff, and I think another couple of other people had said like, "Oh, we don't think you're really working hard," and I was like, and that had really affected my ego, so I had to uh-huh. come back at yours. And so yeah, I, I I posted it, and I was like, "Oh God, like my posture's awful. I'm carrying a bit more weight than I'm I like," and it sort of it sort of kicked me into gear. So I'm trying to sort of work my posture out a little bit because because I spend a lot of time sitting down. You must get the same thing as a teacher. No, I don't sit down that often. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know what teachers are like. You're sitting in the uh, staff room, cup of, uh, I'm guessing it's not coffee. It'll be something like um, some kind of fragrant tea flavor. Why are you guessing it's not coffee? Because I just have a feeling that you drink tea in the staff room. That's true, though. (laughs) (laughs) Told you. (laughs) Because I don't like the whole coffee machine thing. I like to like make Mm. my own coffee in a French press. French press. I bet you're popular in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Rocking up with your French press. I've got a colleague, they got a French press and it's still sitting on their bookshelf in their office. They've never used it. <laughs> and me, I rock up in with my Twinings. Twinings Ooh, black hell. tea with vanilla. That's my favorite. Oh, look at you go. Mm. Very, very nice. Mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that's, just, that's been a concern of mine that uh, I'm kind of, my posture's a bit off. So if I'm sitting kind of upright today, it's because I'm practicing. Sure, let's practicing call it that. My back straight, as as straight as possible. Um, but yeah, so um, we've kind of gone off tangent here. That was a <laughs> that was a strange beginning of the show. I do like it when that happens. It's way more fun. Uh, a couple of things that we've kind of uh, we've not touched on yet. Mm. There's a couple of questions that you'd written in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, the question that you were asking as well is: Does my wife get a different reaction when it comes to having? Hmm. Um, interactions with other people when she's out with my daughter or our daughter, sorry. I guess people are a bit more forward with her. Hmm. I suppose it comes from being a native speaker as well. Sort of she'll speak to them obviously in a different way and Hmm. communicate in a different way. She's local as well. Like when I speak, people can hear my accent. So Hmm. maybe that sort of puts them off too. But I think uh, we're we're still kind of in this area at least, it's still a bit like the pandemic's had an impact on kind of socializing with people you don't know. And also there's like that German tendency, you don't really socialize with people you don't know at the best of times. And making friends can be a long drawn out process. Mm-hmm. So you kind of meet people at the park and if you see them a couple of times, then something might come out of it. But obviously for my daughter, it's different. And she that's dead sweet. She was at the park and I'm kind of milling around to doing my uh, bastard resting face thing and trying to sort of encourage her to go on the slide on her own and do stuff kind of on her own. Mm. And she made friends with this other kid. And it's like, she hasn't got the social skills yet. Mm. She has elements. Like, so the thing she's, she does a lot, she demands, she demands everything, right? Because that's kind of her dynamic mm. at home. And so she was like, go here, do this to the other kid. Like, go sit here and stand here. And the other kid was kind of quite obliging. Because that's what how you talk to her. Is that a reflection of that? Nah, not re- I mean, to a certain extent there is. I mean, there's, to a certain extent there's there's that element, but also because she's always been like that. She's always been quite kind of, Given to the imperative, yeah, she likes. She, she's 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 very much given to the imperative. But I think it's 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 that kind of 
only child thing, you know, she has our full attention. And so she'd be like, daddy, do this. Mummy, sit here, read this book. And so it's kind of like the way that's developed. And obviously that doesn't sort of pan out. And she was, that's what she was saying. Like, why won't the girl like do what I'm saying? And I was like, oh, well, darling, you need to understand that other, you can't control what other people are doing. Why not? And I was like, because, you know, like other people have got their own things to do and their own choices. And she was mm -hmm. like, couldn't quite understand that. Mm. And then as we were leaving, honestly, broke my heart. She was like, she was like shouting across the park and you're like, can I play with you again? Oh, <laughs> like, like, oh God, are you going to make me cry when I'm at the play park? That's oh, a really, Nick, that's, that's not a good look. I can't handle it, man. Honestly, it's like I am become like a pure pushover like the atypical kind of father of a a, a a cute little daughter you know i am just honestly i'm tough with her like when it comes to discipline but like the stuff she does is so sweet and it just like what you do you know so yeah you're sort of seeing that and it's it's dead it's dead nice but and and you wanted to interact with other kids desperately i wanted to interact with mm. other kids because you wanted to socialize properly and i wanted to be confident and outgoing because in my mind, this, that's the thing that you've really got to focus on. You can't, mm. you can't teach confidence. You've got to build it, and you've got to build it mm. early, right? Because it's going to take some knocks, <laughs> as I'm sure you know. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to speaking to other parents, I'm not really that asked, but I'm sort of really hoping my daughter will talk to them. And if me talking to other parents, other people kind of coming over and asking questions benefits the socializing of my daughter, then I'm more than happy to do it, to be honest. I'm mm -hmm. certainly not going to get fucking snippy about it. Can I ask you an offshoot question, though? Of course, Daddy. So on my way to the train station every morning for work, there, mm. there are two gentlemen, no, three people that I say hello to, one on the bridge, two people at the train station. Mm. I don't know them. We just started saying morning, morning, mm -hmm. morning, and I just say hello. I can't say it's a particularly German thing, but do you have that going on in your life? Where you know very specific strangers, but you also don't know specific strangers. It's it's funny you say that because it's something I was thinking about this morning as I was mm. walking to work really early. There's people, there is people I see, kind of cleaning their cars or going about the, the sort of morning routines at seven o'clock in the morning, walking dogs. Mm. And I always say hello, and they always say hello back. Mm. And like even when I was walking home yesterday. There was like a, an older lady and a dog and there was another bloke like kind of having a chat on the street and they both looked at us. And I remember when I first moved, I used to take that as kind of insulting, like, oh, you're staring at. Mm. And yesterday I just went, ah, servus. And they were like, servus, like mm. um, Scott, that kind of thing. And it mm. was like, that's all they were looking for. And that's really typical in the, the small towns and villages. Mm. Even in some cities in Bavaria, I've, I've had instances where, when I've been living in cities, people have said good morning, like really early in the morning, if you're the only two people walking down the street. And that's like nice. It's a nice thing, right? It is. It is. I don't know whether I'm just being morbid, but I sometimes I think like, I mean, I'm here mostly on my own. I don't have family. Hmm. And it's nice to have like people that I, you know, exchange greetings with on the regular because then at some point they say oh yeah yeah I, he, I was the last person to see the woman you know <laughs> who made it to the headlines in the regional newspaper <laughs> they, they, get, they get home from, from work and your face is on the, on the local news and they're like oh I saw her this morning I better kept phoning him up and I say yeah and I'm yeah. like okay there's at least someone who'll remember so that's yeah it's, that's it's good to have a witness or two right <laughs> uh, I, I live in oh, like God. the belly of anxiety I think <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean that does that is a difference between maybe our our, our thinking or the things that we need to concern ourselves with. Mm-hmm. Um, it is that whole like the privileges that you have but i just sort of walk walk along just go this is not nice this is hello oh that's good i'm not thinking oh it's good that someone can keep track of me in case i get murdered on the way to work you know it's my neighborhood it's my hood and there are people i know um there's the nice baker who remembers that i'm from ceylon he never remembers sri lanka but you know that's still something and i'm, I'm i appreciate it but that's kind of the benefit of living in small towns, isn't it? Mm. It's kind of why people want to live in small towns. You, yeah, but it can be also like like we've got a supermarket where this where it's just a bit shitty. I mean, they're nice enough, but it's a shitty supermarket. But you kind of feel like obliged to go there because they are really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it would be shit if they all lost their jobs because everyone stopped going. Aww. But it is a bit. It's <laughs> it's a bit crap. Um, so we also, I think, a lot of people frequent it because it's it's close to them. But it how really is it crap? How can a supermarket be crap? Well, this is something that you'll have noticed. Everyone living in Germany, everyone living in Europe will notice like prices of food have gone up. But it also Mm. has had some weird kind of dynamics with regards to how people stock the shelves. And Mm. um, my wife gave us the example today of she went to the supermarket and uh, you used to be able to buy lemons that were separated, right? So you could buy one lemon. Mm. Now you can only buy a packet of four or like a really expensive kind of grand lemon. I don't know how lemon, big it is. Yeah. But it was like 150. It was the same price as four or something yeah. like that. And so like they, they, they do stuff like that. And and my wife was kind of like, well, why would they do that? That makes no sense. And it's mm. like, because it's probably more cost effective. They're making very, they're not making customer centric decisions. They're making kind of, we can only afford to do this. or this is our bottom line kind of decisions. They're making decisions about that benefit the company, but they don't really benefit the, the consumer. And, mm. and that's kind of what happens when you go to a lot of franchise supermarkets. Like, and mm. so like, for instance, they don't have ice cubes. They don't sell ice cubes. They sell crushed ice and only crushed ice. That's just a decision they've made, right? We don't sell enough ice cubes. We do sell crushed ice. So we'll only sell crushed ice or like, uh, what was the other thing that they don't sell pre-packaged kind of um, wraps? They don't sell anything like that because no one no one buys them from them, so they just don't sell mm. them. Uh, and so you sort of you, you're limited to what you can buy. And always when you buy something, it's never quite what you wanted. It's kind of sort of adjacent mm-hmm. to, you know, I'm going to go in and buy this specific product, and it'll be I don't know. You want to buy a can of deodorant. And they've only got four types and then none of them are the ones you want. Or so you get a can of deodorant, just not the one you wanted. Or um, I've r- routinely go in to buy like chips or something or some cheese. And they'll be like, we've got these three. These are the ones we have. So um, yeah, just that there isn't a lot of options. What's your experience of supermarkets, Dilly? One thing that stands out is I remember looking for vanilla at a takeout in Gießen. And there was a sales uh, supermarket assistant who was taking things. And I was like, hi, uh, do you know where I can find vanilla? And I said this in nice German. She brought me to that test tube vanilla thing. Uh, right. She she gave me one and she said, don't use all of it at once. And vanilla, I mean, like, you know, I don't know what, what, what it was about me that made her think so. And I said, I watched Jamie Oliver too, you know. And we kind of exchanged like weird smiles and nods and we parted ways. That's a weird interaction, <laughs> honestly. Like I've said it a million times on the show, right? The bugbears of people complaining about Germany. And like 
often I'll I'll tweet something and people just think I'm complaining or people are just looking for an argument. They'll be like, ah, that's not true. And it'll be something ridiculous, right? But like a lot of people, we spend a lot of time sort of complaining, but there's so many times where I'm like, oh God, that would only happen in Germany. Like there's that <laughs> really dumb thing or that. And you really want to tweet about it or you really want to say, like I really want to talk about it on the podcast. But then I just feel like the podcast becomes kind of, oh, shit on Germany kind of mm. <laughs> like every week. This yeah. is shit. This doesn't work. Oh, I hate this about <laughs> Germany's this. And, and I'm kind of like, I don't want to be down on it. But there is, it's happened quite a few times the last two weeks where I'm like, oh, this is such a German thing. Mm. Like some like bit of technology just doesn't work for some reason. Or This is not in the spirit of complaining, but this this is a conversation I had with two supermarket assistants. And I can't, I don't think anyone would come up with the script. It was again you know people that i knew by sight and it, and they they made me feel very like warm and welcome in the in that supermarket again it was a takeout and i was looking for plaster and i couldn't find any so i asked this guy where i can find plaster and he turns to this other guy and goes she is looking for plaster would you believe it kind of thing and i'm like okay now i'm caught between two people who find it interesting that i'm looking for plaster so the second guy says, let's show her the plaster. Let's take her there. And so they both take me to that little corner where they sell condoms. And there there are plasters on top of the condoms. And below the condoms is lube. And so they say, here are the plasters very logically placed just above the condoms and you know, in case there is a hole in the condom, you can just use the plaster. I'm like, right, <laughs> right, thank you. <laughs> I was laughing. I had a stitch in my side. And it was just so perfectly executed. And and it was, I mean, they were welcoming me into an inside joke in their supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, I like is, this is their lives, you know. <laughs> and I had a window to it. Man, did I feel special. Yeah, I like it when that happens. <laughs> I mean, when Germans are nice, it's really nice. Like it's like genuinely like when you have a German friend or when Germans are being pleasant. Absolutely, it's just, it can be just great living here. But it, when when Germans are a bit shitty, it can be really, really fucking bum you out. You know, it can really sort of take it out of you, mm-hmm. especially if you get like several disgruntled Germans in a row dealing with any given situation. Or someone's a bit ratty, you know. It can be, mm. it can be real. It's, it's. I think it's because there's, it's that thing of like not hiding your emotions, and Germans don't hide their emotions, no. which in a lot of ways is really admirable. But like, there's certain times where you're like, oh, don't, don't let your kind of beef with the world spill over into this interaction. Like, can you just not do this, please? Um, I don't really need this right now. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> some kind of awkward interaction or. The one I get a lot is, I'll say, um, could you do something? And the, or like, can you do something? And they're like, I can. And they're like trying to highlight some kind of mistake I've made in my German. I'm just like, oh, just, you know what I'm talking about, man. Like, or the one I always hate is when I pronounce certain words like Ulm. Ulm is the one that irritates me. And people go mm. like, oh, like, where's your wife from? I'd be like, Ulm. 
And they're like, where? And I'm like, Ulm. And they're like, where? And I go, Ulm. And they go, ah, oh, yeah, Ulm. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, every time. Like, you all know where it is. Stop it. Just stop it. What is it? I didn't get it. What, what do you mean? The city of Ulm in, in Baden-Württemberg. What? Ulm. Ulm. Oh. <laughs> there is a city called Ulm in Baden-Württemberg. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Ulm. This is yeah, exactly Ulm. what I'm talking okay. about, Dilly. I hate it. I hate it so much. And do people make you repeat this? I'm sorry, I'm not doing it on purpose. Yeah, no, it feels like you are. It feels no. like you are. <laughs> Ulm. Ah, okay. Um, the other one that happened the other day, uh, do you know we had the ice cream episode? We talked about ice cream and God damn it, I wanted some ice cream. So the Sunday yes. afterwards, went to buy some ice cream, right? In Ulm. No, not in Ulm. <laughs> uh in uh in in my local town center okay. and uh, i went up and i said zwei uh, kugel bitter um im waffel auch bitter and mm. the woman picked up uh, a, like a, a waffle becker uh-huh. okay so like a cup that was made out of a waffle and i was like yeah is there like is there an andron option and she was like she held up the paper one mm. and i was like okay so i guess what we got is paper and these the waffle cups maybe they're out of like the waffle ones right mm-hmm. and um uh, they proceeded to give us the ice cream, handed it over, and then I turn around and there's another person serving a small child with a proper proper cone. And I'm like, "What is going on? Like, how have you not understood mm. what? Like, what is waffle? Is there a special way to say it?" And, and it occurred to me as I was walking away is I've said uh, "waffle bitter" and they've heard "waffle becker," and I'm just like, oh, "Ah!" I just like you can't, you can't, you can't win for losing, you know? You really can't. No. And it, it is just it is just kind of like, oh, irritating little things like that where you're like, oh, God. And it's all me. It's not the, the German people's fault. It's totally my fault. You know, I'm actually wondering if you were the kind of person who had to have regular haircuts and in that accent, like you'd be looking like a cockatoo. That's why I don't, I don't, honestly, my deep, dark secret is I, I don't go to hairdressers in Germany because every time I've gone, I've had horrible experiences. Every See, single time. I knew it. What do you do? The combination of me and my wife. Do she does the back and I do the front? <laughs> really? Yeah, and I haven't been. No. To, I haven't been to hairdressers in ten years. No. Nah, not. Couldn't have said like, that. I went. I went before my wedding, and even then, even when I've practiced exactly what I want to say, and I'm really specific, mm-hmm. and I'm exactly like explaining it as mm. clearly as like I want it like long at the front, mm. and I want it short at the back. Mm. And I want the size to be one gauge shorter than the top. Mm. All right. Very specific about mm-hmm. what I want and how I want it done. They still always fuck it up. And I'm just like, and I remember even going with, like, I went once with my wife and I was like, look, I explained to them, they never get it. It must be my German. Mm. So my wife goes, explains it, still get it fucked up. And I'm just like, is it something with the hairdressers here where they're just like, I'll just, this is what I think. So I'm going to do this instead. Not what the person wanted, but this is what I'm going to do. And it's just like, it's infuriating. And I'm like, oh, it can only be in Germany where you get that. Like, it's only in Germany where people would, I've seen this before, people have told me how I should sort of say my name. No, that was it. It was how I should spell my name. Someone said, oh, you spell your name wrong. And I'm like, eh? Like, and compared to what? And they're like, well, if it was German, it would be spelled like this. And I'm like, that's good, but it's not. So let's all move on with our lives, you know? Or you get people, My one of my former bosses, because they had a, quite a German name, mm. they would correct the spelling and the, the English spelling had one N at the end 
and the German spelling should have two ends. Mm. Every time they went anywhere where they had to give their name over, they always spelled it the German way. Just a, like a point blank refusal to spell it, even when even when they would spell their name, mm. it still add an extra n. And it is just like, oh god, what is that? <laughs> and if that catches you on a bad day, it's just that'll be the end, right? You're mm -hmm. just like. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why people get ratty about it. Um, do you remember Robin Hood, the Robin of Sherwood? We mentioned the show last you time. You mentioned this like the other week, and I, I spent the week watching episodes of Robin. Oh, it's Sherwood. lovely. Do you remember Michael Preed's hair? <laughs> yes, I had that because what, I couldn't. Like a helmet hair. <laughs> you know, it had like a like, helmet of it hair. Had this wolf's head kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't intentional. It's just that the hairdresser didn't really get what I wanted, <laughs> and yeah. And you got that in Germany? I Yeah, this was in Germany. I ended up looking like Michael Preed and all of the Queen people. <laughs> because that's them. In the same era, with the same kind of hair. Just just Smooth. more hair than their faces. Yeah, just do it yourself, honestly. You just save yourself a lot of bother. <laughs> uh, a, lot of, a lot of tears at, uh, before bedtime, you know. Well, enough of this hair chat. I've already revealed my deep, dark secrets about how my uh, my Lego hair is constructed. Um, let's move on to somebody else's shame, shall we? Uh, yeah, so there's been a few interesting stories in the news. The big one that seems to have dominated the German news over the last uh, week or so is one coming out of um, Robert Harbeck's office. We all know good old Robert Harbeck. He is one of the leading lights of the Green Party a very prominent politician within the coalition government. And he's had a bit of a rough ride thanks to uh, some sort of uh, nepotism charges. Um, that's been the word that's been bandied about a little bit. He's already been having a bit of a rough ride because of his plans to phase out gas and oil heating, which we mentioned last week. But he's now been embroiled in a scandal concerning the appointment of a new managing director of Deutsche Energie Agentur, or DENA, which is the Federal German Energy Agency. And uh, Habeck's state secretary, Patrick Greichen, was uh, charged with finding uh, a new managing director for Dana. And uh, in the selection process, he decided, in all of his wisdom, that the best man for the job was also the best man at his wedding, <laughs> a Mr. Michael or Mikhail Schaefer, and, uh, who was awarded the contract. And the news was uh, sort of came out at the start of last week. And uh, as you can imagine, a lot of people were like, hang on, mate, like your best friend is also the person who should be the managing director of this large federal agency. That sounds a little bit suspect. I don't know, Dilly, how do you feel about it? Do you think a little bit of nepotism is okay? I do not think a little bit of nepotism is okay. But since I come from Sri Lanka, where the whole parliament is pretty much related to each other, I'm assuming, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, okay, so this is how we do things here too. I'm not okay with it, but it feels familiar, and I think that's wrong. It feels very wrong. I don't know. This, this is a song that I really like. That's sort of the the, the chorus is, uh, I need a little bit of nepotism, and it's it's just <laughs> like black dude from London who's just like, well, I want a bit of bloody nepotism, you know. All these white boys get nepotism, and I don't get any of it, so. I'm kind of like uh, it does hi highlight the uh, the fact that nepotism seems to work in, on, along very particular lines. I don't know. I mean, my thought is kind of 
if you were going into a job as high level as as something in government mm. and you were asked to hire uh, some people to advise you, you'd choose people you trusted. You'd choose your friends, wouldn't you? You'd choose people who would give you an honest answer. You're not just going to choose pure randoms. So I can understand like appointing a, a, an advisor who is a best man. But like in this instance, it just seems like a proper own goal. It just seems like a a needless mistake unless this Mikhail Schaefer's like the most obvious perfect candidate I think this is a bit of a stupid move really do you agree I mean if you were if you we were going to make you uh, I don't know head of the family ministry or we're going to make you the economics minister or we're going to stick you in the chancellery maybe would you choose me and Simon as your advisors he wants me to say yes listener he's nodding his head very eagerly it's, a, um, it's an audible nod. <laughs> I I have a feeling that if you had if you were the head of a ministry like Christoph, your favorite brother-in-law, is he also your only brother-in-law? I've always wanted to know. I've got two brothers-in-law. Uh huh. I, I have a feeling that Christoph's gonna have the office next to you. He's too straight edge, man. No, he'd he'd be too. He wouldn't be able to see the uh, the gray areas. Or maybe he'd be useful. Maybe there'd be him and someone else who who could who could be a little bit more devious. It's like angel and devil on your shoulder. It's not a bad combination, right? But uh, I think you want people who are going to give you different perspectives, but you definitely want people you're going to trust. But then you make it seem like one of those ancient medieval king's courts kind of thing. But then, you know, it feels weird where you can't trust everyone and you need to have your like closest people around you so so that they can give you advice that you can trust and believe in. We're talking about modern politics, right? Like, I wouldn't trust any of those fuckers. We are, but you, but we are applying the same principles, right? Absolutely not. Like honestly, if it, well, I mean, Robert Harbeck's a great example, right? I don't think Robert Harbeck's a particularly awful person. I think when he speaks, he speaks with sense. He speaks with clarity. Mm-hmm. He explains mm-hmm. things very well. He's very patient. I think he's a really good politician. Yeah. And if you type in Robert Harbeck at the moment, every article is negative. He's a nepotist. He's been accused of corruption he was accused of corruption by the opposition parties just just over the weekend and i'm like this mm. is not corruption this is just bullshitty kind of appointments this isn't he's stuffing his pockets full of tax money or something you know and he hasn't got like 17 hookers in his office and having an orgy like come on it's not like like some sort of bacchanalian kind of adventure it's like a bit of a shitty appointment, which, by the way, he kind of came out almost straight away and said, oh, yeah, no, we totally screwed up. And when people have tried to give him an out, and even when he people said, oh, you know, it seems like there's a bit of a witch hunt against you. He's like, no, we made a mistake and we have to fix it. Now, like, that is really admirable to have the it bottle is. and the job like poli- as a politician to be able really? to say, we need to be able to say we're wrong when we're wrong. But God, everyone's after him. They're after him. like, And that's what it feels like in the media. So... In that kind of environment, damn right, I want someone who has got my back, who I could trust. Also, I want someone who's a little bit sly, a bit slimy. Okay, you're really looking at the king's court. I, I'd say so. I think you've got a really Do you also want a jester or someone? Like, you know? I don't know. Are you, uh, are you uh, volunteering for the job? <laughs> well, if you don't mind being the butt of a few jokes yourself, I don't think. Oh, no, no, no. I don't are like that. Are you going to behead people like if they make fun of you? I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that. Uh-huh. Um, I think we might have to reconsider your position in uh, <laughs> the court of King Nick. 
I'll be stringing beans <laughs> in the kitchen soon, probably. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so back to the Harbeck thing. Dana's announced that they're going to restart this process and try and fill the position with someone else as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. As I said, Harbeck quickly admitted that there'd been problems with the process, but there still seems to be this big kind of fire raging around him uh, and probably will do for the next couple of weeks. I can't imagine someone actually giving a post to your own best man and thinking that, okay, this is this is going <laughs> exactly. to be justifiable. <laughs> this isn't going to come back on me at all. <laughs> I mean, it's this day of social media. Uh, everything's going to bite them in the ass again. Why would they not expect it? Unless, I mean, the only defense is a very Trumpian one where you would say, you know, uh, is it my fault if my son is actually the best <laughs> qualified exactly. person for this role it's a huge coincidence just learn to live with it how is that gonna go down it's not my fault my best friend is the most qualified person for this position yeah i mean the green party's come out and backed harbeck and said that they support him regardless and uh, the green party leaders ricardo lang and omid noripur have uh, both been vocal in their support uh, lang in fact was on television on sunday night and she went on to argue that you know, certain politicians in Germany probably shouldn't throw stones in glass houses. And she referenced a couple of scandals that involved our blessed CSU and CDU. Uh, and uh, this is a quote. Uh, she referenced two rather major scandals. She said, but if it comes, lo- the, the criticism comes loudest from the CSU and Marcus Söder, uh, among others, um, those involved in, in the Amigo affair. The Amigo affair was a, a big scandal, mm. the CSU in the early 90s. Uh, uh, and then she went on to say they've made nepotism into a kind of working model with the mask affair which is another scandal that the CSU and CDU faced about selling or buying masks with taxpayer money Mm. that weren't really working Uh, and she said then you have to honestly say that there's an accusation of double standards uh, also more projection so Mm. I think there's there's an element of truth in that as well you know so maybe some people shouldn't shout so loudly when they, if they get caught in their own scandals in future. We will see, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that caught my uh, attention mm. is uh, something you might care about as well. I know you don't drive, do you, Dilly? No, I don't. No, but you do like a bit of a cycle. And I wonder if you might agree with some of these ideas. And this is coming from uh, Redaktionsnetzwerk uh, Deutschland, mm-hmm. which reported that the EU Commission wants people over the age of 70 to complete a self-assessment of fitness to drive or be examined by a doctor every five years in order to see if they can continue driving. The European Parliament and the EU states are in this process of negotiating some kind of compromise around this idea. And Mm. uh, the Federal Transport Minister, Volker Wissing of the FDP, has already uh, had some discussions against this particular project. So this is the idea Mm. that if you're over the age of 70, you have to complete some kind of assessment of fitness or be examined by a doctor every five years. What do you think, Delhi? Good idea or terrible, awful idea? I think it's a splendid idea. Anything to ensure road safety. On the other hand, I'm also thinking, so if Joe Biden was going to visit Germany, he can still be the president of the United States, but he won't be fit to drive? He doesn't drive his own car. Biden gets driven around in that ridiculous uh limousine it's like a tank isn't he the beast or whatever it's called actually you're right i think there's a video of him falling off a bike which was stationary <laughs> so yeah he's not gonna be driving <laughs> yeah 
You don't want old Biden on the uh, on, on behind the wheel. That's mm-hmm. the last thing you want to see on the autobahn. Yeah, I'm one to talk of uh, falling off a stationary bike. Happened to me too, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> that was your start to this morning, wasn't it, Dilly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, R&D goes on to state that the, uh, the statistics coming out of the statistician uh, Bundesamt's, the federal statistical office, show that in uh, 2021, 66,812 people over the age of 65 mm. were involved in accidents uh, that caused a personal injury, mm. which corresponds to 14.5% of all those involved in accidents. So there is some some issues there with um, people over a certain age causing mm-hmm. certain kinds of accidents. Uh, they also showed that the... Uh, the risk of being involved in a serious road traffic accident is highest for young adults up to the age of 24. However, they're followed very closely by very old people whose risk is significantly higher than that of people in, the, in middle age. So there is some statistics mm. to back up this idea. And in 2021, a total of 45,123 elderly people aged mm. 65 or more were involved in a road traffic accident. And of those, 11,169 were seriously injured and 868 of them died. Mm. So it's quite alarming statistics, I think. So it does make some kind of sense mm-hmm. that, that they might want to do something about that. I'm also thinking, so finally, uh, so young people and the elderly have something in common other than ABBA. <laughs> do you think the over 65s are just blaring ABBA and that's why they're crashing into things? <laughs> it could be. Maybe it is ABBA. Maybe that's the common denominator. Maybe, maybe that's what they need to do to say, hey, you know what, turn the radio down. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be much better drivers if you do that. Let me fiddle with the knobs. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, would, I mean, regardless of the statistic, I, I mean, this is something I'm coming to. I'm becoming a bit of a fundamentalist when it comes to driving in Germany. Hmm. My feeling is German drivers are the worst in the world. Honestly, fight me on that. <laughs> I think they're terrible. Uh, yeah, I, think- I cycle. I can, I can attest to that. Uh, what I see on a daily basis is people who, for some reason, just have decided there's no need to use your indicators. Like no, indicators of course just, not. Absolutely none at all. Don't know why that is. This kind of decision-making you see on the autobahn, or at least I see on a regular basis, is honestly appalling, especially in early mornings. The thing I really hate is that that moment where motorcyclists start getting back onto the roads when the weather kind of improves. And there's nothing worse than seeing motorcyclists because... I don't know whether it's whether it's just this neck of the woods. Motorcyclists around around kind of the mountains are the worst people. They're the most impatient, abusive, aggressive drivers, and you see them all around Augsburg at the moment. Just Psych- as if motorcyclists. They, yeah, yeah, they're just really like we had one the other day, hmm. uh, and it's just the archetype. We're doing sixty because it's a sixty zone. They're right up the back of the car, hmm. uh, waving their hands sort of clapping, trying to get us to get out of the way. And we're like overtaking a car. They blatantly have to wait. And it's just a pure sort of fuck on really with with, with mm. them. And that's just the motorcyclists, the average driver, mm. um, especially around Munich. They're a law unto themselves. They'll just do whatever they want. They'll change lanes mm. really aggressively. They drive at the back of your car aggressively, even though you, can, you know and they know that there's no way you can move over because you're trying to overtake a truck. Mm. Or... The, the sort of dreaded uh, camper vans that begin to appear around this area at this time as well, who they d- don't appreciate the fact that it, yes, this is a, an autobahn where cars are going 200 kilometers an hour, but mm. I'm going to overtake this truck at 80. And you're just like, oh God, <laughs> you just make a decision. You're on a hill. Stop making poor decisions. And so like, I just feel like a lot of the time, mm. the impatience of the average driver can be, can be quite That is, upsetting. you're right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think if everyone did it, every five years, everyone has to reset their test. Yeah. I think you would probably improve general road usage. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just my my two cents, I think. Has there been uh, like a public two cents on this? What, to the idea of everyone doing a test every yeah. five years? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think they would ever propose it. Yeah. I mean, look at what happens when you talk about speed limits. People lose their minds. They do lose so, their minds. That's true. I, I, I think if you if you were a politician who suggests that you can expect to have a very short career uh, overall. Mm. Um, and I could see this being imposed because it's an EU directive or an EU law. But yeah. I can see a lot of a lot of people willing to curry votes with elderly people, despite the fact that if anyone's ever been stuck by behind a eighty-five year old Mercedes driver, they know exactly how awful it can get. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of politicians would be would be very uh, um, critical of a of a law being in place. It's no surprise that the uh, transport minister um, Volker Vissing's kind of already said this is terrible. We can't do this. I, I do expect this to not really go as far as you might want it to. Yeah, sounds like someone's using something to make a little bit of noise without actually doing something about it. Yeah. Screw road safety. It's fine. Everything's perfect. <laughs> Just keep it the way it is. <laughs> Dilly, have you ever had that anxiety dream where you sit in a test and you turn over the paper and you have no idea what the exam is about? That has been one of my many anxiety dreams, yes. I feel like I just want to ask you about your anxiety dreams. <laughs> where are you going with this, Nick? <laughs> well, I don't have time to ask you about all your dreams. and Honestly, I'm sure the listeners don't want to hear us do dream chat. So, um, yeah, actually, this is more in reference to a story coming out of Hamburg. So imagine, imagine the scenario I outlined to you happening in real life. You uh, enter the exam hall for one of the most important exams of your life mm -hmm. and you sit down and you turn your exam paper over mm -hmm. and you discover that there is a question in there that is impossible to answer. And uh, this is exactly what happened to a group of school kids in Hamburg last week as they sat their Abitur exams. Mm -hmm. um, the Abitur being... Uh, one, yeah, it is the most important exam a student in the uh, upper echelons of German education will sit. Uh, it can determine the difference between kind of university and uh, apprenticeships and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, kind of chilling. It is. I read that story and I was like, oh, God. So um, pupils were given a problem in their maths exam that yeah. didn't actually have a solution. <laughs> Like it's the trolling. The, 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 the government is that's trolling really the kids. Trolling. Yeah, <laughs> it really <Yeah>. is. <laughs> it's like making an impossible Sudoku or something and just putting it in the paper. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I can't believe that actually happened. That they managed to put in a in a, in a question into a, an, an exam that doesn't actually have an answer. Do you do you want to tell the listeners about the bit where the school authorities tried to make amends, but it just didn't go down with this one school? Yeah, I mean, this is the part of the problem. So the uh, the school in question is blaming kind of the government. The government's blaming the school. The the school itself, uh, the Gymnasium Blancanese, confirmed that they had the exam sheet sent to them mm. by the Wednesday. Mm. And uh, what they didn't realize was it actually contained uh, a kind of control number or there was some kind of printing error or something that shouldn't have been in there or mm. it was some kind of issue with one of the geometry exercises and it was it was basically a typo in the calculation and um the corrections were sent out to every school mm. by email one hour before the start of the exam 
uh, except the this particular gymnasium didn't get their emails, <laughs> and so they didn't correct the the impossible question, and uh, they ended up giving it to students. So um, that just seems like a absolute catastrophe right there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it feels like I feel like it's not the fault of the school or any of the teachers in this instance. I don't know what you think about it. But I was thinking, like, I'm, I'm, I think I speak for every listener. Did they try sending a fax? Because that feels like it would have worked. I don't know. This is my thought. I've got experience of the the moments preceding the start of an exam through my work, but also through speaking to teachers who work in the gymnasium. I've heard stories of kids puking before the exams. Yeah. Loads of, yeah. Lots of panic attacks. Yeah. People freaking out. So it just feel very haywire, like that moment's quite intense. And I'm pretty sure most teachers in those moments are not checking their emails mm. with the expectation that the education uh, authority has sent out an exam with an error in it. Mm. Also, have you not got phones? Who's freaking emailing, man? Just phone the schools. Come on. True. It's ridiculous. But the thing is, you want, to, you want to have your back. The school authority wants to be in the position where they can say, look, we we did send you an email. You were notified. It's out of our hands. Nobody calls. You leave a paper trail. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I mean, that's exactly why you would send an email. Say, like, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't our fault, Gov. We did, we did our damnedest to get this sorted out. Yeah. Um, I do feel like that it's a, a clear issue with the, the ministry than it is to do with the, um, the school, though. I mean, yeah. how many... How can you be sending out kind of exams with with incorrect information in them? Mm. Is it that hard to s- sort of spell check and, and double check the papers? Yeah. So I, I do feel I feel for the school because it feels like they are the ones who are getting a proper ritual kicking from the media <laughs> on that front. What do you think, though? I mean, do you think? And this is something that the school's already discussed mm. that maybe they'll have to do the exam again. They said it's it's possible to take the exam again. Whether there are any other sensible options is currently being discussed. And uh, I was wondering what you think. Do you think it is an instance where the kids should just get a free pass? You'll get get ones. (laughs) (laughs) I think they should be given a free pass. I mean, you just said it. I mean, there are kids who throw up before exams. I mean, kids in schools have the levels of anxiety that I had at university doing a PhD. It's quite sad to see kids going through that. And I don't think it's a kid's fault. And why should they have to sit through another exam? That's just too traumatic. I mean, they're going to make them sit through another exam, aren't they? That's exactly what they're going to do. I can't believe for a second that there would be any kind of leniency, even if it isn't the error of the uh, of the school kids. Mm. Um, and I can sort of see the logic of that. Uh, you can't just you can't just give everybody a great mark. <laughs> like, and it's not fair on the good kids who might get like a, a lower mark than they could have maybe achieved. I, they're going to have to sit them at some point, so they might as well just do it. I mean, it does require creating a whole new exam now. Mm. So um, it does feel a little bit of a, a kick in the teeth for the for the school kids. Yeah, poor kids. Um, but, I mean, it's that thing of, like, there is there's just so much pressure around this period, not just for the kids, but the teachers as well. Mm. The teachers really want the kids to succeed, and I think it's... It's one of those things that a lot of people complain about, isn't it? The the kind of the high pressure or the high stakes environment mm. that's this kind of created around the abitur, how it's unhealthy for kids. I can kind of agree with that. At the same time, the, all exams are intense. I think 
maybe a little bit more work on the on the sort of the realities of it and and how uh how it's not a, the end of the world if you get a terrible mark and yeah like yeah i can kind of get that i think it's rather more a social construct than it is a a, a mechanism of the of the education system i do mm-hmm. feel like parents as well put a lot of pressure on their kids yeah when it comes Absolutely. to the RBT, the importance that's sort of placed on getting it yeah even though you can achieve achieve it in multiple different ways should you screw it up the first time mm-hmm. um so maybe maybe people just need to be a little bit more relaxed about it i don't know um i've never had to sit the rb2 i know what my experience of exams were when it came to this this sort of age range at school yeah and i fucked them up because i didn't care so i was not stressed at all when i went into my exams <laughs> <laughs> i did really well woodworking the art exam and the history exam those. everything else i was awful at absolutely awful i remember doing my masters at a university and uh, we had sometimes exams to write and sometimes we had essays to write for two years i wrote just essays because i don't have the headspace to sit like you know study and uh, answer questions for two hours that fills me with dread so i wrote like i don't know 10 page essays for all of my subjects and thankfully the lecturers were okay with it and they were quite flexible what so you mean like a mundlich prüfung or something like that like a, an oral exam uh, no hausarbeiten so ah, so right, written okay. written essays yeah but that's usually the kind of form that you would get no no really? no you also have like question papers um mcqs and that sort of thing <sighs> i can't do that like the exams can be intense they're intense where i work you know i mean a lot of students get very worked up about it before they go in very stressed out about it mm. i think oral exams stress people i find oral exams much more relaxing than i do like explaining something verbally is much easier than explaining it on paper i would say and so i'm much more inclined to go with an oral exam oh, okay. um, and again i quite like exams now now i know how they work you know you're at the other end. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, on the other end, but also when I, I mean, even when I did my um, my behinds certificate, mm. like the exams were a breeze because I just knew I knew the mechanisms, I knew what it was going to be like, I knew all right, I know exactly what they're looking for from these things because they've done them before, Mm-mm. and I know what I was looking for, and so you're just trying to hit those targets, and and that's that's fine, and I, I passed and it was okay. So I think that does give you some sense of calm when you know what you know what to expect. Mm. If you know what the examiner might be thinking, if you see what I mean, because mm. they can be inscrutable. You know, mm. <laughs> they kind of mm. look at you and you're like, oh god. And it, often, often your worst enemy in those environments is yourself. You sort of psych yourself out. Yeah. And I think having that experience made the exams that I have sat since leaving university much more um, enjoyable. Yeah. I wouldn't mind sitting down doing a doing a three-hour history exam, get to write some essays. I can do that for like literature, like if I have to analyze poetry or something. That I can do, but not like facts and linguistics and stuff. <laughs> oh God, linguistics is a real pain in the ass. I can do uh, essays yeah. on linguistics, not exam papers. Oh dear me. I look at those fucking geeks honestly going, yeah, I'd like to do an exam. I'd really love to do an exam. Oh, and I would great. like to write papers, 20 oh, pages. please, let's Ooh. do an essay, sir, please. <laughs> oh God, I, I hate me.
That brings us to the end of the show. We are going to speak to Uncle Robert about the position of Managing Director at the Deutsche Energieagentur. Oh, good old Uncle Robert. Do you remember when he used to push us on the swings? <laughs> anyway, if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify. So please do chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home or lowercase on twitter or instagram as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet dilly on at dilly and you can tweet me at 40 percent german you can also get us on decades from home at gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40 percent german.com weekly articles are up every saturday all that's left to say is thanks and bis next time cheers, cheers.